Well, please uh, turn with me to the book of Joshua, as uh, Jerry mentioned, Joshua chapter 24. This will be our next to last uh, sermon in the book of Joshua. You'll find this on page 198, if you have one of the church's Bibles uh, here, page 198. Uh, We come to the uh, near end of the book here, and it's the third of Joshua's three summons to the people of God to come together and to uh, hear the word of the Lord. They've, They've been given the land, they've taken possession of it, they're scattered throughout it, they're settled And uh, they need to hear what it is that the Lord has to say before Joshua uh, goes uh, to heaven himself. And so we come to Joshua 24. We'll read the first 28 verses, but let's pray before we do. Lord, uh, we thank you that you are a, a gracious God. You are a God who has given yourself to us. We thank you that you have given us your word and that you summoned the people to uh, this place in Shechem, a place where you had so long before uh, met Abraham. And we thank you, O God, that uh, as you gathered the people here in Joshua's day, you told them what it is that you had to say to them. And we thank you that you still speak to us and that your word is living and it's active And so we pray that you would give us, as your people, ears to hear, so that we might be transformed. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This is God's word. Joshua 24, 1. Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem, and summoned the elders, the heads, the judges, and the officers of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago... Your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham, and of Nahor, and they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. I gave him Isaac, and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau, and I gave Esau the hill country of Seir to possess, but Jacob and his children went down to Egypt, and I sent Moses and Aaron. And I plagued Egypt with what I did in the midst of it, and afterward I brought you out. Then I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to the sea, and the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. And when they cried to the Lord, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians, and made the sea come upon them and cover them, and your eyes saw what I did in Egypt. And you lived in the wilderness a long time. Then I brought you to the land of the Amorites who lived on the other side of the Jordan. They fought with you and I gave them into your hand and you took possession of their land and I destroyed them before you. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose and fought against Israel and he sent and invited Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. But I would not listen to Balaam. Indeed, he blessed you. So I delivered you out of his hand. And you went over Jordan, over the Jordan, and came to Jericho, and the leaders of Jericho fought against you, and also the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And I gave them into your hand. And I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out before you, the two kings of the Amorites. It was not by your sword or by your bow. I gave you a land on which you had not labored and cities that you had not built and you dwell in them. You eat the fruit of vineyards and of olive orchards that you did not plant. 
Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it's evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Then the people answered, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, and who did these great signs in our sight and preserved us all the way that we went and among all the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who had lived in the land. Therefore, we also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. But Joshua said to the people, you are not able to serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. And the people said to Joshua, no, but we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said to the people, you are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, we are witnesses. He said, then put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, the Lord, our God, we will serve and his voice we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and put in place statutes and rules for them at Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God. And he took a large stone and set it up there under the terebinth that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to all the people, behold, this stone shall be a witness against us for it has heard all the words of the Lord that he spoke to us. Therefore, it shall be witness against you, lest you deal falsely with your God. So Joshua sent the people away, every man to his inheritance. Thus ends this reading of God's holy word, which we pray he would write on our hearts today and forever. Well, all of you, and this includes you children, are going to have some important choices later today. You'll join us for the fellowship meal, I trust, and uh, you'll go through the line and you'll get whatever food you want, and then you'll step over to the dessert table, the one you've been waiting for. And I haven't had a look at it just yet, but I'm sure you'll probably have your choice of pie or of cake or of cookies. And you'll sit there with the, your plate in hand, choosing which of these will satisfy your taste buds. And, and it'll be an important choice, and you'll have great fun making it. But as we come to this passage, God wants you to remember that there is another choice that is set before you even before we get to that table. And it is a far more important choice. I want you to look at uh, Joshua's words here in verse 15. He says to the people, and if it's evil in the Lord, in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. Choose this day whom you will serve. Joshua is an old man. We saw that last week. 
But now he calls the people together and he's not so much focusing on his age or even the fact that he's going to pass away. He recognizes that the people who are gathered before him are not going to have an ongoing relationship with him in the same way as he's getting ready to die. But he recognizes that they are all standing or sitting before the living God and they must choose who it is that they are going to serve. You are presented with this same choice even here today. And we need to ask, what is it that we need to know as we think about the choice that is set before us as those who are gathered in the presence of God? And we see Joshua's final word here, and it's not simply a word from Joshua, but it is a word from the Lord as we see here in verse 2. All of these people have presented themselves before God, and then Joshua says to all the people, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. He's speaking to those people there, and he's speaking to us here today. What is it that we need to know? We're going to give you four C's as you think about this choice. If you want to uh, think about uh, that helping uh, structure the passage for you, and the first is you need to see the chronicle of how the Lord, your God, has served you. If you're called today to choose whom you're going to serve, first thing you need to see is all of the ways, all of the chronicling, of how your God has already served you. And you see this in the first 13 verses. So notice that Joshua calls all of these leaders together. And he says here, first of all, that long ago, your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham and of Nahor, and they served other gods. He's beginning to give them an account of their history. And it's quite a fascinating history. We could spend a long time on this. Uh, Ralph Davis goes through and he pulls out uh, many different aspects of this history that we could look at and, and meditate on. And I'll just share a few of those. But just notice, as you think about what your God has done for you, uh, think about who Abraham and his fathers were. Look at what the text says again in verse 2. Uh, Terah, the father of Abraham and of Nahor, and what did they do? They served other gods. When you look at your history, when you look at your patriarchs, when you look at the people who have gone before you, what is it you need to know from the outset about Abraham? Because we can sometimes start thinking about great people in Scripture like Abraham or maybe David, Moses, and others, and and we have a fairly sanitized view. We think these were good guys. But no, what does it say about Abraham? He served other gods. You're being called today to choose whom you will serve. What you need to remember about Abraham is he he used to serve other gods. He was a filthy worshiper of those Sumerian gods on the other side of the river Euphrates. And it was only because of God's mercy and grace, as we see here in verse 3, that God says, I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through the land of Canaan. We talked last week about the need to hear the testimonies of other people. And one of the things that's always true of every testimony that you ever hear of someone who has come to faith in Jesus Christ, even those old people that you can't ever imagine probably had a day when when their hearts were turned away from God, uh, someone like Mrs. Stoichev, whose story is being written, as I said, one of the things you'll, you'll be so fascinated to see is just how much each person who's ever walked the face of this earth has in a certain sense served other gods. 
and, and we need to see it. Because that is how we appreciate the grace of our God who has served us so richly to bring us out of the pit of despair and death that all of us are born into in Adam. Paul writes the same way in uh, chapter 2 of Ephesians. He reminds us that we were dead in our trespasses and our sins. And that it's God who made us alive. It's he alone who gives this kind of life. And he did it for Abraham. So he brings Abraham through the land of Canaan. And what in particular is so special about Abraham? And why would Joshua use him at this particular point in this speech? Well, look back to verse 1. You can see that they are gathered to Shechem. They're gathered to Shechem. Now, when God brought Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldees and he brought him to the promised land, what was the first place that God brought him to in Genesis chapter 12? It was to Shechem. And the Lord revealed himself to Abraham there at Shechem. This is uh, the place where Mount Gerizim and Ebal are, are just in the background, as you recall from God making his covenant with his people, renewing his covenant in Joshua chapter 8. Now he's brought them back to the same place. And he says, I want to remind you right here where we are today is the same place that I showed my grace and my favor to Abraham. And I promised him, that I was going to give this land to his descendants. This is what Joshua chronicles for the people. And he goes on and he says that there was this promise made to Abraham that he was going to make his offspring many. And so what did he do? He gave him Isaac. So if you do the, the math there, you, you realize that God took Abraham and Sarah, that's two people, and they multiplied them into, and he multiplied them into one. The math seems to be going the wrong way, doesn't it? But this shows us that God, faithful as he is, sometimes works in surprising ways. And his faithfulness is, is sometimes slow in our eyes. And of course, to Isaac were given Jacob and Esau, God again giving this life. But of course, uh, Esau was rebellious uh, and, and Jacob was the chosen son. But then look at what God does as they go along the way. It's not that God just immediately multiplies Isaac into many. He gives him one son who is faithful to serve the Lord. And then what happens to that one son? Does, does he just automatically get the land and get to multiply in it? No, you, the rebellious son, what does he get? He, he gets Mount Seir. He gets to settle. And what happened to Jacob? Well, he got dragged down into Egypt where he and his descendants live in slavery for 400 years. We sometimes uh, remember the things that God has done in our lives and we look back and we, we say, yes, God's been faithful, but he hasn't always given me everything I want exactly when I want it. The Lord seems to be expert at leading us to patient trust in him. And he's done this through the whole course of history. But what did he do when his people were in Egypt? He sent Moses and Aaron and he plagued Egypt with what he did in the midst of it. And afterwards he says, I brought you out. Notice all of these verbs here. They're all about what God has done. God took, God gave, God brought. It's all about what the triune God has done for his people. 
So he brings our fathers out of Egypt, and the Egyptians pursued uh, our fathers with chariots and, and horsemen to the Red Sea, and then they get trapped, and the Lord puts darkness between them and the Red Sea. And, and what does he do then? He, he delivers them through the Red Sea. And then we're told at the end of verse 7 something else that's striking and painful. He says, and you lived in the wilderness a long time. He was working faith. He was working patience in the hearts of his people. And then they saw his hand yet again as he brought them to the land of the Amorites who lived on the other side of the Jordan. They fought with you and I gave them into your hand. You took possession of the land. And then Balak, the son of Zippor, the king of Moab arises and he comes to, uh, to call Balaam to bring his curse upon the people of God. But God turns that around and he makes that curse a blessing. And then he brings them across the Jordan and he's given them the land of all of these nations that he drove out. And he says, I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out before you, the two kings of the Amorites. And here's what you need to remember. It wasn't by your sword or by your bow. I've given you this land that you didn't labor for, cities you didn't build, and yet you dwell in them and you eat the fruit of vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. And that was all just the stuff that the people needed to know leading up to Joshua's day. And we can add to this chronicle of all of the things that God has continued to do through the course of biblical history, leading up to Jesus Christ, and even all of the things that he has done since then in our lives to show us his grace. And when we think particularly about what he's done in sending the person of Jesus Christ, we can agree with the Apostle John, who says in John 1 that we have all received from him grace upon grace. God is a God who not only delivers his people out of Egypt, but he, he did that symbolically, showing how it is that he was going to deliver us from our bondage to sin and our bondage to worshiping the same kinds of gods that our fathers have worshiped. It, it's interesting, isn't it, as we look at this trajectory, Abraham used to worship false gods beyond uh, the river Euphrates, those Sumerian gods. He, he brings him to the land, and then he sends his descendants down into Egypt but what did they do there? Well, they started worshiping the Egyptian gods because this is the nature of the human heart. It's fickle. And we too are prey to worship those same kinds of gods. Well, the Lord is showing that he is the one who has the capacity to deliver us from this kind of idolatry. He's the one that has the capacity to take your heart from death to life, from loving dead and worthless idols to serving the living and true God. And so we see that there's not only a chronicling, but then there's a call that Joshua gives to the people. He has them all there. He's told them the story in a very brief way. And he says, now therefore, in verse 14, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. Serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. And he says, put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt. It's quite a fascinating thing, and children, you can draw this, but each of these sets of gods that are presented uh, in this passage, they're all beyond some body of water. Uh, th those that are beyond the river Euphrates were the ones that Abraham served early on. Those that were beyond the Red Sea down in Egypt to the west, those were the ones that the people had served uh, all too often when they were in bondage. And then we see these others, uh, these Amorite gods that they first encountered uh, on the other side of the river Jordan. 
He says, uh, these are all ones that it's possible for you to serve, but you are being called rather to serve the Lord. And so then in verse 15, he presses it a little farther. He says, if it's evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. And what are the choices that he gives them? He says, well, you can serve the gods that your father served in the region beyond the river or the God of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. He says, here are your choices. You got a flat tire. You can imagine what this would be like, right? You got a flat tire. You're, you've been down the road. There's a group of friends. Uh, you're all traveling along the way and you get this flat. And what are you going to do? Now, you know, there's a, a spare in the back that you could put on. But somebody realizes, you know, we, we also had a bicycle, and so we've got a little pump, and we could, we could just pump this tire up. And one of you says, yeah, but, you know, if we, if we did that, the air is going to leak out, so we'd have to do something to stop the leak. And so you start looking around, and you say, well, what are our choices? And one person says, aha, I've got some bubble gum. Pull it out. You know, we, we could use the bubble gum to stuff the hole, and then we wouldn't have to change the tire. We'd just pump it up. And, and somebody else says, oh, no, no, I've got a better idea. See, I've got a tube of lipstick, and, and the lipstick has a little crank, so we could just put that right up against the hole, and we could just crank the, the lipstick right down into the, the tire hole, and everything would be fine. And somebody else says, well, yeah, but I don't think that would really do the trick. I think, I think my hand sanitizer would be better because we'd be able to get more pressure on that bottle to get that uh, put down in there, and then maybe uh, if a little tube of super glue, we could, we could just put that over the top too, Right? What's going to happen in any of those cases? It's going to fail. In other words, what Joshua is saying is, you can make any of these other stupid choices you want. Go ahead. You, you want those gods? Pick any of them. The result is the same. It's death. So he says, choose you this day whom you serve. Which of those foreign gods? But as for me and my house... We will serve the Lord. He says, I'm I'm not taking any of those choices. I'm taking the only viable choice, the only real choice, the only true God. And I want you to notice here that he's not simply saying, you've got to pick which kind of religion you, you want or which sort of solution you want to your life's problems and the world's problems. In one sense, he's saying, yeah, you can choose between materialism, right? Just go into college to get a good job so that you can get everything you want. Uh, He's not simply uh, calling you to to try humanism, investing in people and in education to try to make people better so that they'll make better choices. He's not calling you ultimately to choose any one ideology. You'll notice that the only right choice is a person. Choose this day whom, whom you will serve. Will you serve the living God or will you not? There's only one choice. And Joshua's language here, as Francis Schaeffer loves to point out, is not merely the language of choosing once. It could be easy for me to sort of sit here today and make an emotional appeal to you to say, yep, I'm going to serve the Lord. I know that's the right answer. That's what I'm going to do. But these people had seen Joshua for more than 40 years. The 
the verb here contains the idea not just of Joshua saying, we will serve the Lord, but we have chosen, we have served, we are serving, we will serve. We're going to, to continue this sort of choosing and this sort of serving as it's packaged in these verses. And you know what these people would have had to do? They would have had to sit here and say, yeah, we remember right out of Egypt that God had his hand upon Joshua. And when it came time to battle the Amalekites, he was there to serve alongside Moses. And when they came to uh, Mount Sinai and Aaron and the others uh, went off into worshiping uh, the golden calf, Joshua was one who did not join in. And when they came to Kadesh Barnea and the 12 spies were sent north into the land and 10 came back and said, it's too great for us, we, we can't do it. Joshua was one of the two who made a choice and who said, yes, we can believe and serve the Lord. They, they had seen Joshua make the same kind of choice uh, back in chapter 5 as he had stood before the commander of the Lord's army and bowed and worshiped. And time and time and time again cast his voice and his vote, as it were, with the Lord. It's true. We're Calvinists around here, right? We know that we only have the capacity to choose because God has first chosen us, but it doesn't mean we don't have a choice because we are not robots. But God is a personal God, the triune God, and his purpose is to live in relationship with you so that you might know his overflowing and abounding love. And what has he made you to do? He has made you to choose him in response. And when he sends forth his Holy Spirit, this is the response of his people to say, yes, I do love this God who has served me so richly and who has now called me to serve him in response. How and why would you not want to incline your heart to the Lord here today? How and why would you not want to be the sort of person who becomes a Joshua? And you've all seen this sort of person. The sort of person who has simply been faithful year after year after year after year. And you've looked at that person and you've said, yeah, I I know that the living God lives in that person. The, The Lord is calling you today to serve him. So the call was set before the people. And what are the people going to do in verse 16? Well, they're they're going to give a commitment, our third C. It's a commitment, but there's also a cost that comes with it. So the people answered, and they said, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. And they affirm everything that Joshua has said. And so at the end of verse 18, they say, we also will serve the Lord for he is our God. It's the right response. It's a a model of a response you should give today. But notice what Joshua says in verse 19. Not only did the people know him, and now he had faithfully chosen to serve the Lord, he also had seen how they had been unfaithful and not chosen to serve the Lord year after year after year after year. So Joshua says to them, you're not able to serve the Lord, for he's a holy God. He's a jealous God, and he's not going to forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord to serve foreign gods, then he's going to turn and do you harm and consume you and after having done you good. And you're going, wait a minute. I I thought that the promise of scripture is that God does forgive our sins. And the answer is yes, of course he does. That is the promise. But what Joshua is pointing out here is that God 
doesn't believe in easy believism. God doesn't believe that you get to just sit here and say, oh, I, I choose God today. Don't believe that he's going to listen to you if your plan and your intention and your life is to go out and just reject him tomorrow. He, he doesn't forgive sin in that kind of way. It's not that he just sort of doesn't care beyond what you say here in this particular moment. He is looking, as we see in verse 14, for sincerity and faithfulness. Wholehearted service to him. Leaving nothing back. And so the, the people, again, affirm that they're going to serve the Lord and they go back and forth. They have this little argument. Joshua says in verse 22, you're witnesses that you've chosen the Lord to serve him. And they say, yeah, we're, we're witnesses. And so he says in verse 23, then put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the call is here for you today. If you're saying, yes, I, I'm going to choose to serve the Lord. What God says then is you, you look into your own hearts and you look into your own lives, those false gods that remain, and you put them away. You put them away forever. And so the people said to Joshua, the Lord, our God, we will serve and his voice, we will obey. And so then the fourth C comes here in verse 25, Joshua made a covenant with the people. God gives them uh, this agreement. He gives them this promise to the people. Uh, the, this is all written down there at Shechem. And God writes these things in the book, uh, Joshua rather, writes these things in the book of the law of God. And what did he do? Well, he took a large stone and he set it up there under the terebinth tree that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And they go on to note that this stone is going to be a witness because it's heard all the words that the Lord spoke to us. And so children, what you might draw here is a big rock with big ears. There's a rock that is there to hear and to testify. But there's something that's pretty surprising, I think, about what this rock hears. What does this rock hear? Did the rock hear the promises that the people had made? That's not what the text says. What did the rock hear? The rock wasn't there to say, yep, I heard you say on that day that you're going to choose to serve the Lord. The rock heard this. It has heard all the words of the Lord that he spoke to us. The rock heard the words of the Lord. God knows that the people can't be faithful to keep their end of the bargain. But who is it that's faithful to keep his end of the bargain, to take and to purchase a people unto himself? It is the same God who met Abraham here in this place so many years before. And he promised that he was going to give that land to his descendants. And now this rock is hearing that God is faithful. And this is the testimony that is going to abide in the land. And the covenant is being extended not just to Abraham now, but to one more generation. And what's happening even today as we sit here in Indianapolis in the year 2022? These covenant promises are being extended yet again to you. Your God, dear friends, is calling you to choose this day whom you will serve. 
And he is reminding you that he has made a covenant with you, his people. He set up a rock in that day, a rock that's still there somewhere in that part of the world. But he has now made a covenant in flesh and blood through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, that he is faithful. And he is presented to us here today in the Lord's Supper. He has given us his covenant promises and he has shown us his grace and his faithfulness to us. He's continuing to give himself to us today and to deliver us from our sin and from our unrighteousness. And so what ought to be our response? But along with the people to say that we will serve the Lord for he is our God. Let's give ourselves to the Lord today who has so richly and so generously given himself to us as we celebrate this covenant meal and claim uh, our God who has been so good to us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you have uh, given us uh, this calling to serve you. And we thank you that that comes to us on the basis of everything you've already done for us. Lord, we thank you that you love to hear the commitment of your people That when you are a God who gives yourself to us, what is it that you want from us? Well, you want us to take from you and to taste and to see that you are good and to know that we have a living relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you, O God, that you have revealed yourself to us and you've shown us that you're the one that we are to serve. And though Joshua died, And his bones are still buried there in that part of the world. We thank you that we have a Savior who came to meet with us. And when he was here on this earth, he called others to simply come and to see. To come and to get to know him. To come and to see his faithfulness. And we thank you, O God, that in calling us to come and to see your faithfulness, you also call us to commitment to you. That you call us to take up our cross daily and to follow you, and to recognize that there is a cost to serving you, but that it is very much a cost that is worth it because you have done everything necessary for us to know you. So Lord, we pray that you would stir up our hearts as those who dwell in the land here in this day, that we would remember the promises that you've made to Abraham, and we thank you that you tell us that you're not the God of the dead, but you're the God of the living because Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are with you today, and Joshua is with you. In spirit. And we thank you that you have condescended and you have come to us so that we might have life. And so, Lord, it is our commitment today that we will serve you today and all the days of our lives because you have been so good to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.